You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. I was combing through some of uh, some of the things on your website as a refresher, and I was like, "Man, this guy's this guy's doing some things." So we have a lot to talk about today. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> right on. Yeah, I would say you're doing. To it. I would say you're doing, not trying. Doing, doing many things. Yeah, yeah, I am doing many things, and I have many ideas that I want to do. It's just it's only so much time. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, uh, selfishly, this is a conversation I'm very much looking forward to, uh, which you probably don't know my backstory. Why would you? Um, but not that we have similar stories because we don't, but, um, but I came out to our listening audience out of the blue about a year and a half ago, uh, disappeared for two weeks, went to detox for alcohol. I was chemically dependent all well try all well still managing my life i was a fully functioning alcoholic going to work still getting up in the morning and training nobody knew that i had this going on uh didn't realize it was happening until it was too late wasn't hiding it but wasn't sharing it right um sure sure and so so when you reached when you reached out when i got that email from you i was like oh hell yeah i really want to talk to this guy because i'm i'm nowhere near where you i think had gotten to um how many years ago now was it uh 14 plus so november 17 2008 last, i won't forget last that day, day or the first day of my new life yeah i don't know if it was the last day i drank or the first day of my new life but that's mm-hmm. the day that, that i that i call my anniversary okay so um, for those of you listening, we're just going to roll into this thing casually. It's kind of how we do uh, do things here. But uh, I'm talking to Henry Ward. Um, do you want to introduce yourself, Henry? Who you are? Just a quick snapshot of who you are. If it's, it's hard to do. That's almost an unfair question. But Sure, sure. I'll see if I can kind of sum it up. <laughs> I am Henry Ward. I'm a recovering alcoholic and addict. I have used alcohol and drugs, mostly alcohol, for 22 years. And then on November 17, 2008, I finally decided to stop. My way of cutting down for years never worked. And I finally entered into treatment in which I started my new life. And eventually in 2013, I started running. And hmm. I started with the shorter distances and then escalated up to ultras, uh, which is anything more than 26.2 miles of a marathon. And last year I completed a 250 mile uh, endurance run out here and a bunch of other runs in between, you know, a hundred miles or so. So yeah, I live out here in Chandler, Arizona, grew up, grew up in Waltham, Massachusetts. And, um, I have a lovely wife of 18 years who stuck, stuck by my side. And I have a son that just turned 11. I have a dog, Winnie, who's sitting next to me, and I have a rock, <laughs> a, a desert tortoise, a snoring desert tortoise in the backyard, but that goes by the name of Rocket. That's that's the short story. Come on, you have a tortoise at home? I do. He's probably either in the corner or in his burrow. I gave him a bunch of blueberries this morning. He was sleeping. He's either hanging out in the corner or when the sun comes out, it's nice and warm. He'll kind of walk around and eat some grass and do his thing. You know, it's kind of smart as an ultra runner to have a tortoise around the house, isn't it? 
Because yeah, you're yeah, never going to be the well, slowest you know, one in the in the area, <laughs> no, ma- no matter what. Well, you'd be you'd be surprised. We don't call them rocket for nothing, right? You'd be surprised how fast they move and how persistent they are. You know, and there's definitely a, an analogy to to ultra running or running or life. Like if you're willing to just doesn't matter how slow it is. Uh, we'll go into it later. I wrote a book one inch at a time about the Cocodona race I did. Like. Mm. One inch at a time, it doesn't matter how slow it is, but any step forward is progress to where you need to get to, whether that's the corner or the, the burrow or the mm-hmm. aid station or the finish line or through like a rough patch in life. You know, if you're, if you're willing to have faith and you can definitely, in determination, you can definitely uh, get to where you need to. And, and, and Rocket is a prime example of that. And so am I. <laughs> I don't mean to deter from the task at hand or the subject at hand, but how does one come to the decision to buy a tortoise? How somebody like uh, it makes sense to have one around. <laughs> so we adopted him. We thought it'd be pretty cool. My son wants to be a zookeeper or work with animals. He's always liked animals. And we have a friend who's a ranger. She uh, her name is Ranger Amy. She actually just moved to Colorado. We miss her already. But she um, mm-hmm. she would get calls for fledglings like hawks that would like baby hawks that would fall out of the. The nest think they could fly and their feathers weren't, you know, fully developed, uh, you know, injured coyotes, javelinas, and a lot of tortoises. People would say, I don't know what to do. I found one on the road. You know, I don't want anything to happen to it. So mm-hmm. she would either take it or encourage them to bring it to like the Arizona Herpetology Society. So it's basically a sanctuary, um, a rescue release, uh, rescue rehabilitate and release center for, for reptiles. And they get... Uh, a lot of calls and a lot of tortoises dropped off there. And so uh, Rocket is a rescue. We think that he was mm. five years old. We got him and he'll be eight the 4th of July. So there's another reason why we called him Rocket. But yeah, you know, there's a whole process of adopting it. You can't take him out of Arizona. You can't breed them. You can't have a swimming pool because they're falling and drown. But no, yeah, we, always wanted, we always wanted one. That'd be a pretty cool pet. And yeah, lives in our that backyard. Tortoise. Tortoise is probably going to outlive your whole family. Isn't that an interesting? Th- I mean, I just saw a post, not to dwell on the tortoise, but I just saw a post about like the oldest tortoise turned 208 or something. I'm sure you saw it uh, somewhere. Yeah, I mean, we, we even... heard something. We When we saw we saw that, we changed our will. We giving everything to Rocket. <laughs> <laughs> he'll, I'll, I'll live. It, it, in theory, he'll outlive my son, but uh, yeah. All right. Yeah, they live a long time, over 100 years old. <laughs> yeah, build build up that wealth for Rocket. I guess that makes uh that makes sense. Everything you're doing is for Rocket. Your kid's gonna feel really gypped one day. <laughs> all these all these investments and all this time and energy working hard for Rocket. Uh, that's funny. Um, so uh, when did you? I guess I want to kind of go back a little bit with you because one, like this is a uh sort of a selfish conversation on my behalf and i thought it would be really good timing considering i've gone through something similar and my co-host has not bracken so this is a good chance for me to selfishly talk with you about this but um before we get into to the deep the nitty-gritty when did you move to arizona and and why 2004 i came out for vacation to see the the first time i've been out here twice to see the Patriots play the Arizona Cardinals. I always kind of wanted to move out from Boston, think about living somewhere on the West Coast. And I spent an extra week here. And, uh, you know, I thought, 
geographically would do me good. That's a good way to get sober, right? Move one side and start a new life, start over. And so that was the, you know, I I mean, I really did like it out here, uh, but that was the initial thought. Like, I'm going to go out there and and not drink or, you know, get away from really Mm. the society or the people that I was hanging around with. Not that I had bad friends or anything, but I just needed a change. And um, I thought that was going to do it for me. In fact, I met this lovely girl who became my girlfriend, who now became my wife. And I actually thought that she would help that too. <laughs> but mm-hmm. what I didn't, what I didn't know is that, you know, my way, again, my way of cutting down or my way of changing my behaviors never would work. Never because I'm an alcoholic and addict, like one's too many and a hundred's mm-hmm. not enough. It's true. Uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, I slowly introduced alcohol into our relationship and she didn't know who she was getting herself involved with. And, mm-hmm. you know, every, every day she's like, why are you drinking today? Like, uh, well, I, uh, you know, it's raining out. Like it never rains in Arizona or there's a game on or the, we, we drink every Sunday. It's football, you know, da, 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 da. so every day was like a different reason. So she kind of questioned, mm-hmm. like, she didn't come out and say like, you know, do you have to drink every day? Or do you think you have a problem? It was like, you know, when is this phase going to end? Cause I, you know, I don't like it. And so, like, when I got some heat, I would back off. But throughout, throughout a relationship, it was always in question. It was always, like, the main source of our problems, whether it was finance or, hmm. you know, spiritually or just, you know, uh, being there for each other. You know, I was under the influence a lot of the time. And, you know, it adversely hmm. affected our relationship. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, uh, that geographical change didn't work. <laughs> that change had to come from within. And I guess yeah. I wasn't ready. Huh. Do you, um, uh, what, what do you do for work in Arizona right now? Are you full-time into, um, the public speaking and, and your foundation, I believe you have, or is there a side hustle, so to speak? So, so I have lots of side hustles. <laughs> uh, yeah. I went to, I went to culinary, culinary arts school. So oh. I am a, a chef by trade and food service director i've been in i was in that industry for many years and i recently got out i as the story goes i tried going back to work in 2021 after uh after covid happened you know i was unhappy in an industry for years and mm. covid happened it really just reinforced what the most important things in in this world to me are which is physical mental physical mental and spiritual health family time and uh you know just life's too short all these little cliches it's true so mm-hmm. i just i took some time i wrote my first book running without the devil started my nonprofit, and i wouldn't say that was anywhere near full time but i started doing you know fundraising for that when events started happening again and then you know i was like i need we need full-time we bought a house so we mm-hmm. need some full-time employment some steady income and uh so after like my severance from the company that like my, my, basically my account was decommissioned in food service. And after my severance was over, like I got to find work and like you know, imposter syndrome. All I know sure. is culinary. I can never be a police officer, uh, an accountant uh, or whatever, you know, anything else, you know? So I started looking for jobs that quite frankly, I didn't want to do. Like I started thinking like, even if like Robert Kraft of the New England Patriots, the only the owner of the Patriots asked me if I would, would want to be the executive chef for the New England Patriots and he'd pay me $500,000 a year 
I don't think I'd be happy, honestly. Huh. You know, I just I lost the passion for the industry and just the grind. And figured you were a cardinal. Um, so anyway, so I did. I'm wrong there, I guess. No, not at all. No, no. <laughs> I'm no, kidding. No. Patriot fans uh, are loyal. So yeah, I'll yeah for for life. I've tried mm-hmm. to adopt the team, but it's hard. But anyways, um, you know, I, I I had to pay the bills, and so I decided I was going to give it one more shot. And I went back, and it lasted nine or nine or ten weeks. And when I went for the interview i said hey listen you know i don't i don't ever want to sell out i don't want this place to be or any other place to be my home this is a place of work uh i want to spend time with my family i need time outside of work so i don't want to work 60 or 70 hours a week i don't want to work nights and i don't want to work weekends this is what i'm looking for i'll come in here and treat people with integrity respect give 100% work hard, but I'm going home. And when I'm home, I'm home. And, you know, trust me, you know, if, if, uh, if, if I had to work 60 or 70 hours a week, then um, I wouldn't be here. Like being able to do out things, doing things outside of work allows me to do my job optimally. I'm like, all right, we're on the same page here. And then they made me an offer and I was hired, but it quickly went, uh, we needed to stay late. We needed to work weekends and, Mm -hmm. you know, we're shorthanded, we're the show must go on. And I get that, but I started getting, uh, you know, just beat down and, and working a ton of hours and like I was I wasn't happy, so it didn't work out. So I ended up throwing out into the universe like in November of 2021, like universe, like law of attraction. I don't want to do what I'm doing anymore. Provide for me, and mm-hmm. it, as simple as that. And honestly, that what happened was a miracle. I got I saw somebody's posts, somebody I was Facebook friends with put on the on the on Facebook, uh, hey endurance friends, twenty twenty we were shut down. Twenty twenty one we weren't that busy. But in twenty twenty two I'm booked solid for a couple of different months. If you want if any you know anybody that's looking for to be a hiking guide or a mountain bike guide, inquire within. So I said, what do I need to know? And um, you know, basically a a knowledge of the desert, you know, general signs of dehydration, fatigue, you know, um what else? Uh, yeah, like knowledge of Phoenix, endurance, and you need to be able mm-hmm. to talk to people from around the country and around the world. Like, well, I checked a few of those boxes and I'm willing to learn. So I shadowed a few hikes and then I started doing my own. So I've been doing my own, except for like in the summer out here, we don't have any hikes. Mm. <laughs> people, There's not much tourism and it's too hot. So we don't go out when it's over 100 degrees. But, yeah. you know, from let's just say like September 1st to June 1st, pretty busy like five six i've done as many as 10 hikes a week so i'm a professional hiking wow. guide um, i sell books i've written three books i published three books i have two others that are done and i have one that i'm working on and your so books are interrupt books. but I'll do private your, your books are running without the devil uh one too many donuts is that what it is yes yeah and it's a children's book about addiction uh, and what's the last one, one inch at a time is the last one inch at a, one inch right. at a time Okay. And when did you yeah, write so your first reco- book? I'll re- so it started in, let's see, I guess it was April of 2017 when I was laid up in Mexico. I had done my first Boston Marathon quad. I didn't actually complete it. I did three marathons. The Boston Marathon quad is four consecutive marathons in the Boston Marathon course. And I had a, a foot injury. So we went to Mexico the next day and... <laughs> The timing wasn't great, but whatever. So I went down there and I, my foot was extremely swollen. I went for x-rays before we left and the doctors and nurses all came in like, you ready? You're ready for uh, 
the results. You ready for um, what's wrong with your foot and the diagnosis? And I said, yeah, this, we're going to call it overuse. <laughs> so I was like completely swollen. Yeah. And, and so there was, it wasn't broken or anything like that, but I was laid up. I couldn't really do much in Mexico except for eat for me. I'm going to stop uh, you real quick. But after a few days. I'm going to stop you real quick. Um, You're talking about the Boston Marathon course four times in a row, not four days in a row running it once a day. You're talking like you're going for a century. Correct. Plus in a row without stopping for time. 104.8 miles. Okay. Correct. Yeah, I'll I'll go into details about that in a little bit because that's the sixth year is coming up soon. Um, Okay. Yeah, so so I got this big ankle, and you know I could only I hobbled around. I could only sit so much, and you know look at the internet or Facebook. And I always wanted to write a book, so I literally grabbed my phone and opened up a Google Doc and just started putting bullet points of things I wanted to talk about. You know, Boston Marathon quad. You know, and then I started talking going back about like my recovery and growing up, and then I put everything, all those bullet points, in in chronological order. And then I started filling in. So those bullet points were either chapters or, or paragraphs, subjects I wanted to include. Mm. And then, um, yeah, then I just, whatever, maybe I got like six pages, eight pages, which is kind of a lot from somebody that's never written before, or that's slow at typing, especially in a phone. And then we had made the decision to move to Arizona. So that was, that was April of 2017. Um, I did a... 24-hour track run where I ran tracks. I ran around the track and did a fundraiser. So both were fundraisers. And in May of 2017, and then moved out later in May, May of 2017. So that was kind of like the last hurrah. So then I included the, the the track run in there. And then part of our move, I started documenting that, the transition over to Arizona. And then I got busy. I got real busy. I was working 60, 70 hours as an active chef on my feet a lot and just tired. I did a stage race in Patagonia. I documented that. Mm-hmm. That was in November of um, of 2017. I actually did like the fifth stage on my anniversary, my sobriety anniversary. That was cool. Oh, so nice. I documented that. And I, yeah, I just, and then I kind of stopped. Like life just stopped. Like I never had time to do anything i kept trying like i'd go to south mountain where i run here and i'd pick up my phone pretend this is my phone mm. and, and start like talking into the phone at least like you know let's talk about the boston marathon quad and you know in may of in april of 2017 i started out it was freezing rain and snow and then i had scott join me and i get home and like like it's it, it'll say like boston um kumquat with blob blob joined me and you know it made no sense some of it made no sense the, the reason None. that's funny so, um to me henry is that i all my so i'm a coach right and i voice to email and text all of my athletes back and they get that gibberish all the time and i get comments all the time about those errors and they just yeah. updated the new ios system and it's a nightmare and so anyways i can relate to that because half of what i put out there is nonsense and all my athletes listening know what i'm talking about so i can relate to that completely it's, but continue i i get a lot of those from friends too but it's fr- for me it was frustrating to go back like it was a complete waste of time for me to do that, to go back mm. to fix everything. It took longer. Um, no, so I'm sure anyway, you and Blob so had a great run that. together. Oh, yeah, whoever Blob is. <laughs> Blob's a great runner. 
Yeah. You know, so it was counterproductive. And then like, I know that in my recovery that anytime I'm forcing something, when I want things to happen on Henry's terms, it's not the right time. And I kept forcing it and just kept getting more stressed, right? Like trying to do it, trying to do it. I'd start, I'd get like a paragraph done and like try to do it between this and that. It just wasn't the right time to do it. So I put it down and, you know, it was kind of like, who the hell knows? Like, if I'll ever finish this, if this is just a pipe dream, but someday I'll do it. And then, you know, when I have more time and then COVID happened, I'd be like, you know what? I'll be damned if I don't write this book. So I guess it was probably like July or uh, July or August of 2020. And I decided to reach out and hire a high, high performance coach, like a life coach or a business coach. Hmm. And that was one of the best decisions I ever made because I had like a million ideas that I wanted to do and I was just spinning my wheels. So I had all this time and I'm I'm starting this project and that one and nothing. So I have no traction. So she gave me three shiny balls. She's like, you could have three shiny balls. Break it down for your simple mind. You know, those three shiny balls can be writing the writing a damn good book, marketing the damn good book. And then let's just say like, you know, start your coaching, your coaching business. And when, when one of those shiny balls is done, like you finish writing that book, you can pick up, pick up another one, but not until that book is done. So it got me in a chair and I was, you know, for somebody that that is, I don't know, ADHD, hyperactive, whatever you want to call it. I was proud of myself, not just for writing the book, but sitting in the damn chair for more than four hours at a time, you know, getting up to mm -hmm. go to the bathroom, stretch breaks or whatever and eating. But I, I was pretty determined to finish it and I did you know I guess I was done October of 2020 and then I hired a professional editor and we went back and forth till February ish <laughs> and then worked with my friend and did the artwork and uploaded it on Amazon it was published like March of 2021 yeah so I wow. found a new hobby too and then I just went with momentum and decided I want to write a do kids book and so he did that one too many donuts. So teaching kids that uh, about addiction, it was always swept under the rug as a child for us or, you know, just mm -hmm. in that generation and teach kids that's addiction to food, to alcohol, to drugs, to cell phones, to apps, to social media, to anything, you know, teach them when they're young, different signs of addiction and different ways to kind of curb their appetite. Did you ever, uh, do you ever imagine yourself being a published writer? Ever? No. No, like I was never good at school. And even like once I wrote a book, like, you know, I'm not a writer. Like, it's like say, like I tell people, like people say, oh, I'm not, a, I'm not a runner really. I just do like five K's or I just, you know, run a few times a week. Well, if you run, you're a runner. Like if you write, you're a mm -hmm. writer. Like I'm, I'm not yep. William Shakespeare, Edgar Allan Poe. I'm, you know, I'm not a, right now I'm not a, a New York Times bestseller. I don't have great technical writing skills, but who cares? Like anybody can write a book. Like, and I believe that if I can write a book, anybody can, you just, you can, I just self published with a little bit of help on Amazon. You know, um, it wasn't, I don't want to say it wasn't that hard, but it was my story and to get everything out of my own mm -hmm. head. And I got an editor and kind of smoothed everything out. You know, what sounds right in my head doesn't necessarily translate, translate well to paper or, or on the computer. <laughs> So, uh -huh. <laughs> and my wife's helped me edit the last, she's, she's helped me edit a little bit, uh, you know, the last couple of things that I've written too. So, 
were those your three shiny balls actually the write a book get it published and start coaching i believe those are the three you said yeah yeah that's the ones that i started at the time and then i never really i i've coached people and i'll take on projects here and there but i never really i thought that that's what i wanted to do and that was the direction i was going and Mm -hmm. then i don't know i just you know i just found that uh there's only so much time in the day and my passion was going towards writing. Like I can't wait to write something else. I have a bunch of other ideas that are in my head. And when I have the time I write, like I wrote like an hour and a half this morning. Um, awesome. Well, yeah, we've interviewed, uh, I'm kind of, I'm following my heart. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. We've, we've interviewed Matt Fitzgerald, I think twice, twice now. And I imagine you're oh, he's a great, with him. He's from Massachusetts yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, yeah. he's from, uh, I think Le- Lexington. But that really is it. Like, from what I understand, you just start, start writing, put it down, and then eventually you'll make sense of it. It will write itself once you get the thoughts, even as random as they may be, down. It's just like that process of just just starting, right? And it doesn't have to make sense initially. You can put it together later. It doesn't like I was a big fan of just like what was called like brainstorming. I'll get these crazy ideas and like I'll write it down or make a note in my phone and like if you don't get it out of your head, you don't get you don't generate any ideas, you don't put it down on paper, it'll never happen. You know, it'll mm-hmm. never it'll never grow, right? But the more you just kinda like I'm just like I'm writing a murder mystery about South Mountain here, the more like I just sit here and do it, like I start creating, like generating ideas like that I haven't thought of before just by just sitting here doing it. And then even like when I go to the mountains too, I feel like a detective or like almost like a little kid just like going around like and I see a piece of trash or I see, you know, some spray paint, some graffiti and I I just kind of triggers an idea and I write it down and put it in my phone like take a picture of it. It's pretty. It's pretty Interesting. cool. Yeah, I'm sure the the mind. It's art, right? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just... So, okay. So, who is the devil? Who uh, is the devil? The devil. The devil's kind of like what I used to be. Who I used to be. You know, the devil could be alcohol and drugs too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's. I think the devil's always there. Like I, used, I have an analogy that I wrote in like Running Without the Devil. I always think like, remember the Flintstones where like there was like the angel Fred on the mm-hmm. shoulder with the halo, and then you got the one the devil one on the pitchfork. And I'm just old enough say, to remember. Don't do that. Don't do that, Fred. You know, like you know, you'll regret it later. And you got the other one that's jabbing him with the pitchfork. Like shut up over there. He's old enough <laughs> to know what he's doing. So, you know, it's, I have, uh, you know, I think we always have like that temptation, like that devil to do, to do or act, um, in a bad way. But thankfully, you know, through recovery and my spirituality and faith in God that I'm able to make better decisions nowadays with a clear head and not Mm -hmm. listen to that stupid guy on the other shoulder. Uh, Uh, But yeah, it could be alcohol, it could be drugs, drugs too, you know, like when I was going to the liquor store every day and like it started scaring me because I'd be home and like, I don't even really remember going to the liquor store. I just kind of automatically went there. Like I was like possessed almost like I didn't have a chance. And if I thought about it, like I was absolutely going, I needed to, I needed to drink, you know, it was like, Mm -hmm. it wasn't a matter of 
like if I went home and, and said, no, I'd be thinking about it the whole time. You know, I felt like I, that's what I had to do. I felt like I was possessed. I felt like I had like that devil inside of me. It was like the mm-hmm. alcohol saying, drink me, <laughs> you'll feel better. Later you might feel like shit, but right now you're going to feel better. You can escape, get away from your problems, What's run away, the, uh, you know, fill that, fill that void. <laughs> What's the saying? I'm going to. I'm going to be hung over, but it's not going to be today. And then you push that to the next day and you push that to the you next day. You can always day. drink a little bit more. Yeah. Like the hair yep. of the dog, right? Yeah. That that's what got me in trouble, Henry, to say the least. Um, I want to talk about, um, I want to talk about, cause you're a pretty accomplished ultra runner, man. You've done some, I mean, you're wearing a hat that says 250 miles on it. Like we can't forget about that, but I want to, I want to talk about your backstory with, Help me understand, I guess, how dark of a place you had gotten to. Um, and also, did you, and not to be too scatterbrained, but did you have a background in athletics or endurance training whatsoever? Or was, was alcohol or drugs your only outlet growing up? Uh, okay, where will I start? Okay, so I was always very active growing up. I played, you know, youth baseball, Babe Ruth mm. baseball, basketball, street hockey. I was always a tiny kid, so I never played like ice hockey or football. And my parents thought, you know, I was too small, I'd get hurt. But I was active playing with friends all the time. I never ran as a sport. Never, I mm. liked, I'd run, you know, throw me the ball, I'll go out and catch it, I'll run, get a touchdown, or, you know, I could run around. I never, I always knew that I had some sort of endurance. Because like I never wanted to sit down if you're we playing pickup basketball. I never wanted to sit down if you're we playing hockey or roller hockey. Sure. Um, I could bike ride into Boston or rollerblade into Boston, twenty mi- fifteen miles, and then come back. You know, spend the day even drinking and smoking weed, and then go all the way back. And and my friends that some of them didn't really even smoke or anything like that, they'd be sagging way behind. So I always knew I had like mm-hmm. some sort of endurance gene. But for years, you know, I went to the, to the gym and did, did weights and stuff. But for years, I, I stopped everything. I just lost interest because, I don't know, I just, it wasn't working for me. And um, I just wanted to drink. Mm. So, I, you know, I grew up very active. And then um, I, I got, I got, uh, well, let's see, we moved back to Boston. So I was... I was sober about a year. We did a family hike. My wife wanted me to get checked out, go get a medical, get medically cleared to do the hike and everything. And so mm-hmm. I started easing my way back into, into exercise. And then I started walking distance. And then eventually I, I found running. I can get into that. Um, do you want well, me to long? circle back to my lowest point? Like, uh, I'm going to interrupt how, you a lot. I'm, I'm going to keep interrupting you. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Get these little you know, these questions start popping in. Um, and we have a little delay, so yeah, that's yeah. why it sounds like I'm interrupting you. Um, no how long did you How long did you go? And I really want to dive into the, obviously, the addiction piece of things. But I want to set it up on both ends as far as, like, this ultra runner you've become, too, which is astounding. Uh, how long did you go without any sort of structured working out or training? How many years? And obviously putting poison in your body throughout, like how long of a gap did you have? What I'm like, there is hope for people who, um, have taken time off or are starting as later runners in their life or whatever it is. And I just want your perspective on that. How long was that without really taking care of yourself? Yeah, it was probably, uh, like 
real like I did like when I moved out to Arizona, I was going to the gym like a little bit, but I was I mean, I wasn't getting great workouts and occasionally I'd rollerblade. So I would say, but like really the better half of like 15 years, I just lost interest. I didn't have any hobbies and it was so weird. Like when I, I got a new pair of rollerblades and tried it again, back, like after getting sober, it was so weird. I went to, to use them. I'm like, it just feels so weird to be on them. Something's different. And I had realized for the first time ever, there was the first time they ever rollerbladed sober. I was always mm-hmm. high or drunk. Mm-hmm. So a better half of 15 years without really doing anything. Okay. Um, yeah. Wow. Um, okay. And, and with that, that in mind, we'll pick that up on the back end, but I do want to, I do want to talk a little bit about, um, getting to that point of finding running, of course, like understanding what, what brought you to all of that and then taking it to such extremes, sure. which now I understand that I'm in this world. There are very many parallels between, um, the fix that, uh, drugs and alcohol can give somebody and also just what needs to replace that. And sometimes it's very extreme, right? For me, it is for sure. Um, well, not, and we've nothing, we've nothing had, in moderation. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and, um, so I want to dive into all of that, but can we just talk a, a bit about how it, how you ended up, where you ended up before you like hit rock bottom? Like I think back, so, um, I went into detox in the fall of 2021, September. Um, and God, I have a hard time remembering what it felt like, like the, that last month or two. And I was like, I, I had lost the battle. I was chemically dependent. I was drinking every day, m- rarely going more than six or eight hours without it. Because as soon as I started sobering up, I was beginning withdrawal symptoms. And I was running intoxicated. I was training. I even showed up to some races, high end pro level races and had a drink at 4am and beforehand, I mean, trying to do, make it all work. So I was in pretty deep, right? I was just hanging on by a thread. But I still have a hard time remembering what it felt like to be in it because the substance numbed it all, right? It's like a haze. Seeing the world with clear eyes for the first time after I got done going through withdrawal symptoms seven days later was like terrifying. It was like, this is so intense compared to just the cellophane I was looking through for months. So my first question is, do you even, do you really remember what it was like back then? I, I like once I got sober, so like, I, I didn't realize when I got into treatment, I went to intensive outpatient. I didn't realize that I was going to be getting like an education on myself. Like I went there to stop drinking and initially to, to fix my marriage. And then I found out that I, I needed to go there for myself, but then hmm. We quickly realized, you know, this is a spiritual thing and I was going to work on all my character defects and all my emotions. So the emotions of not only anger and, and resentment and sadness, but happiness too. So I didn't really know, I didn't really know what to do sometimes because for 22 <laughs> yeah. years I was kind of suppressing, suppressing those feelings. So you know, after the pink cloud wore off, like of 30 days, it was kind of, everything was good. And then it just kind of back to reality, you know, okay, so this is what life's, I had a lot, of, I was confused too. Uh, my wife, as the story goes, my wife had 
threatened to leave me if I drank again, which I had, which I had done before I hit my rock bottom. Mm. And so then like she was strong to her word and she left, she got an apartment. Were you, um, house and were you mistreating her? Were you not holding up your end of the life bargain? Were you not keeping your side of the street clean? What was it that had, had that at such turmoil? Okay. You so, don't mind me asking. No, that's fine. Do you want me to go back and talk about the rock bottom and then ter- transition into that? It might help clarify. Yeah, could we? I, yeah, I'd like. I'd like to. Yeah, yeah let's yeah, go yeah, back yeah. just a little bit. We'll dig up the dirt. <laughs> so yeah, let's do it. Before I, in 2000, 2000, 2008, the highlight of my culinary career was I accepted, which was a friggin' miracle. Like I accepted a position, I applied for and got a position. Um, to be a chef at the 2008 Beijing Olympic Game Project. Ooh. Really cool opportunity. I didn't really want to do it. Part of me was like, I've never been alone. Like, I'll die out there, right? I'll, I'll, alcohol poisoning <laughs> or something. What year was this? And, you know, 2008. Ma- 2008. Yeah, Isn't that Olympics where they built, like, Beijing, a whole so. new facility for everything? Like, they changed oh, yeah, yeah, the yeah, town, yeah, right? The, it was a big bird's nest, the water cube. Yep, yep. Yeah. Yeah, um, I have tattoos to prove it. <laughs> I bet you do. Uh, but anyways, uh, it, so I was to go over there and work for four months in a short-term assignment. And, you know, I was like, it'll be really good for your career, you know, for our family. It'll look great on the resume. You'll get a better job from it. And she's the voice of reason. And it was like, I didn't want to do it. Then finally I said yes. And we were going to family counseling leading up to that. So you're talking, uh, let's just say February to, to May of 2008. And I was going to AA meetings. I was, you know, alcohol was a main problem in our marriage and in many things, you know, my health and wound up in urgent care a bunch of times. And anyway, so I agreed to go to AA all was well, but I kind of, in retrospect, had one foot in the door, one foot out. I was the type that would sit in the back of the room, be the first one to to leave the meeting, you know, didn't really want to socialize. I got a lot of benefits out of it, out of it. Don't get me wrong. I heard what I needed to hear. I, when called upon, I would speak, but, you know, I was just kind of pencil whipping it a little bit and, or a lot, depending which way you look at it, depending who you ask. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought I was pretty well prepared to go to China uh, it remained sober, but as soon as I got to the airport, I I started drinking. Like I had that space before you even got out. I don't really remember. Before even well, be, no, before I, but like Phoenix Sky Harbor Airport. Before I, yeah, my flight to San Francisco right. and my flight to Beijing, mm-hmm. like from San Francisco to Beijing, blackout. Don't remember. Miracle. You know, I got there and woke had up. Had you not drank before that? Pounds. Had you? Had you not drank leading up? No, to that yeah, I was like, days I weeks? was abstinent. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was abstinent for probably two months. So and I had what a decent took, amount right of there. sobriety there. Yeah, just that space, and I let my guard down. I, you know, I had the tools, I just didn't use them. And again, I wasn't one hundred percent. I might have been ninety five percent in, but I wasn't all in. And uh, you know, the way I looked at it was like, oh well, I'll, I'll go over there and. And uh, and have some fun, and this will be the last hurrah. And so, like after the last three hurrah. days, well, yeah. So I, had, you know, I drank a lot more when I had more time in my hands, and I had all besides work, I had a lot of time in my hands. My wife wasn't around, so 
Uh, as soon as I got there, I stocked up and I was missing in action for three days. They knock on my door. They're like, hey, uh, where you been? Like, oh, you know, just haven't been feeling good. Just jet lag. I just, you know, we've been looking for you for three days. You haven't even go to like orientation and we started work, you know, and we're worried about you. Like, well, uh, I, you know, don't mind these hundred beers that are on the counter there and, and the, you know, just all this. That, that's my roommates. These aren't mine, right? Uh, I was still all fucked up. And so anyways, I the next day I brushed my teeth 15 times and showered a couple times and, and ate something and went to work. And, you know, I, a couple of days I straightened up and needed some clarity. I was pretty wiped out from a three-day bender. Mm. And then I hadn't talked to my wife either. So she was trying to get in touch with me. I called her. She was happy to talk to me. And then a couple of days later, we had like a dinner and I was repeating myself. And she always knew what I was drinking. And she said, I know what you're doing. Like, you better take it easy out there. This is a great opportunity. Don't blow it. When you come back, you can't be drinking or we're, we're done. I'm prepared to leave. And she had mentioned that to me three or four different times, you know, just so you know, when you come back, if you're drinking, have some fun, learn a lot, but I'm going to leave. And so came home. That was it. It was good to be, you know, after four months to be on American soil to see her, went away for the weekend. So for 30 days, I was sober again. And Did you drink every day in China? In Orlando. When I could. Yeah. Like I got some pretty bad gastritis. So like everywhere you went like the the bathrooms are different there like everywhere you went like there was no toilet paper like i'm walking around with rolls of toilet paper in my backpack i just uh i just got back from vietnam i was in vietnam for for two weeks uh i got back from vietnam five days ago and it was the same exact thing i had this was a vacation we took but yep toilet paper in our bag all the time i go out for but I'd go out for like a, I'd go out like you know for a day to work or whatever. Hit the streets and have to go to the bathroom all the time. And like there was a couple of days where I went through a whole roll of toilet paper because my stomach was just. I had to get antibiotics. I had gastritis and mm. from for the damage I did. Um, but anyways, yeah, I came home and so for thirty days went back to see that counselor and everything. And um, oh, actually, no, we didn't. We didn't. Um, I'm sorry, I, I misquoted. My wife was seeing that counselor while I was gone, who gave her the strength to to leave to if if uh, if i drank again and um so everything was good we were just you know living together and after 30 days so we went to the company i work for rewarded us with a dinner in orlando to re you know as far as like you know thank you for spending half the year with us working in this this monstrous project we want to mm-hmm. you know there's an award ceremony we want to reward you with a dinner so they flew us to orlando and ironically my wife who never traveled for work uh, was in Orlando for work, you know, 10 miles away, whatever it was. And we tried to connect a few different times. And I did the same thing. As soon as I got on the plane, I started drinking. And so when I talked to her on the phone the first two times, I don't think she knew. <laughs> but then the third time, she definitely knew. And it was like, don't call me again. Don't don't, uh, don't text me. And so, like, you know, nothing's ever our fault as alcoholics and addicts so i blame her she was a bitch and you know she was mean mm. she didn't give me a chance and everything and i made a complete ass of myself at that dinner i was like triple fisted the whole time i was i was like wasted like falling down and i was sitting with like the the the, the president of aramark the director of higher education the director of human resource they're sitting at you, my table I, sorry I no idea. I, 
I want to interrupt you again. Is that who you were there with, with Aramark? Yeah. So yes, my yes. previous life, Henry, you familiar with a company called Unifirst? So Unifirst uh, is out of Boston. Familiar. I was shirts and pants and textile like, rental you... services for that yeah, was my yeah, previous yeah, yeah, life. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's Unifirst. Where, Amer- it's Aramark Unifors, is our direct yeah. competitor. Anyways, we that's the life I yeah, left. Yeah, yeah when I left to open my personal training and coaching business was that exact direct competitor of it. Oh, right on. So it's yeah, funny. Yeah. You, yeah. I could you see like the green, the, the green, yes. green lettering in a white truck. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I know your world. So anyways, so I, yeah. So my world is I went up on stage to accept my award and, and I went like this. I showed him my oh, Olympic I, tattoos. Let's see it. And just oh, yeah. like, I, you know, yeah, see I it? see. You got the rings there. Henry's showing me his back tattoo. Maybe this will make the video cut. Oh, yeah. That's sweet. So it wasn't super funny to anybody else, really, that was there because I got up on stage and did that, like super unprofessional. Mm. And But I was the funny guy, you know. I thought that was really funny and <clears throat> cool to do. And uh, I remember being like triple-fisted because it was free drinks. And then I don't know how I got back to my hotel. And I don't know how I got back home but my wife wouldn't reply to any of my texts and any of my phone calls the 20 voicemails i left her and then i went back and stocked up and drank like i wanted to and then after like two or three days i don't really remember she was to be coming home and the day before that i was desperately low on alcohol so i went to the store and stocked up and uh before i did that i was no i, I had to go stock up on alcohol so be before I did that, I needed to sober up. I needed to get rid of the shakes. I needed to get rid of the cold sweats. So I remember thinking, I'll go take a shower and then I'll have to walk to the store because I'm still wasted. I can't drive. I was falling down. I remember patting the dog in the nose, telling my dog Lucy that daddy was sick and, you know, falling down. I had bumps all over me and just blacking out and just not eating much. Mm. And then, um, so, so the plan is to, Sober up as much as I can, get rid of the cold sweats, get some clarity, get the cobwebs out of my eyes and my my head, and then walk to the store and get a 30-pack or whatever, some tequila, some rum. And um, I remember being in the shower, like kind of just feeling dizzy and just really just almost feel like I'm going to pass out. I remember praying to God, like, I don't want to be like this anymore. Like, please, God, send me an angel, send me anybody. Send me somebody, send me, I need to be saved. Like I, I'm, I'm dying. I don't want to be like this anymore. I don't want to drink anymore. I feel like I'm going to die. And then, um, I shut the water off and then went to go get my clothes on the bed. I opened up the door and our house was for sale and there was a realtor and a young couple there. And they're like standing there like, Oh my God. Like, and they slowly backed away and I backed away and where were you standing there, but closed the yeah, yeah, to go get my That's clothes nice. in the bed. The clothes are right behind <laughs> them. You know, excuse me, pass, pass me those. Oh, God. Super humiliating, right? But whatever. Especially like, after a cold care, shower, but, Henry. Um, That's extra humiliating. Oh, uh, yeah, shrinkage. So <laughs> so I was like, I was, I was just like, I went from being humiliated to like, holy crap, like that was the angels that God sent me. Like he sent me, sent me anybody, and that's that's who he sent. Like that was a sign. Like it was a spiritual awakening, and I just got changed and sat in. I went in the kitchen and emptied like the five or six beers and whatever hard liquor I had down the drain, and then ran the water 
and just sat there on the couch with a dog going, I'm done. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, that was it. I never went to the store. My wife came back the next day and told her what happened. I don't know. She believed me at the time. And I, she's like, all right, well, you need to get treatment. I'm like, I don't feel well enough. Like, if you don't feel well enough, I'm going to go to the, the apartment that I got and so on and so forth. And um, she ended up getting an apartment. And I didn't really understand it because our house was for sale. Money was an issue. Why would you go ahead mm -hmm. and spend whatever it was, $800,000 a month on top of the 2300 or whatever it was for our mortgage? Like, what the hell? And um, she said, I need to work on myself and you need to work on yourself. And then I didn't understand it. We started spending time together. I went to AA. I went to treatment the next day. And when I went there, the guy was like, you know, can I help you? And I said, I'm here to get some information. He's like, what, the, what is what his information going to do for you? I said, well, I don't know how much this costs. He's like, let me ask you, what lengths would you go to the drink or to use? Any? I said, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Then what lengths would you go to get better? Like, you really want to get better? You want to get sober forever? I said, yeah. Then what lengths would you go to? Any? He said, yeah. Then why wouldn't you sign up? I'm like, this guy's like way too pushy for me, you know? And I'm like, I don't know how much it costs. I don't know what my wife's going to say. Your wife may or may not, like the idea of going there was to save the marriage. Your wife may or may not, like, stay with you. But do you think she'll stay with you if you get sober? Do you think you're increasing the odds? Yeah. So leave her out of the equation. And then, you know, is your life worth $100,000 or a million dollars? Like, this program doesn't cost that much. But if it did, would it be worth it to get your life back? Well, yeah. Then, then what's the question here, you know? <laughs> Like, you know, fine, I'll just sign up and shut, shut this guy up. But like literally, like I took the pen and filled out the insurance information. And as soon as I put the pen down in the paper, it was like a huge weight was lifted too. It was like another kind of spiritual awakening. I had given up, right? Well, you relinquished life control. In their hands. Mm -hmm. No more control. Yeah, I had no control. I was powerless. Like he hammered that home. Like that guy ended up, my wife ended up really like saving my life by giving me an ultimatum, but that guy really helped too. And, um, you know, I mean, mm. honestly, I, I did, I did the work. I was will, finally willing to do the work and finally willing to admit that I was powerless and that my way of cutting down never would work. And, um, yeah, I know. Then I dove right into it. It was like, I was like in the university of Henry Ward, you know, just learning all about myself, which was pretty cool. But I still was like, you know, why are we living apart? We were spending so much time. Like I'd, I'd sleep over at the apartment, like, but during the day I was either working or by myself. Um, and she said, you need to spend time with yourself. I'm like that's bullshit. I spent, you know, most of my life by myself. And she said the same thing. I was seeing the therapist, same thing the therapist said, that's bullshit because you always had alcohol to entertain you. Mm. You know, now you're, you're there. You have, you have a void inside of you. You're not comfortable in your own. This is what the therapist said. You're not comfortable in your own skin. You need to figure out how to fill that void and how to be comfortable in your own skin. So it took, you know, I was okay. I got a job that movie cross country back to Boston, ironically. I was okay going back there. It was kind of weird. I wasn't really hanging around with the same friends. I just didn't have anything in common with them. I had no hobbies. And I wasn't necessarily 100% comfortable in my own skin. And then um, I ended up, finding running <laughs> or running found me yeah and i can dive into that if you want if that's a i good do i want to i want to slow you down just a hair though 
Um, because you sure. I have a few things I want to dive into with that. Um, it's so easy to, for somebody who doesn't know what you've struggled with or what I've struggled with, <clears throat> I want to help them understand and then relate to those who do somewhat understand. The last drink you had was the day that you stood in front of those people naked. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes, that is correct. Yes, that was um, rock bottom last. So November 17, 2008. I did read a quote the other day on Instagram. I um, I have a sober coworker, and she it said you don't have to hit rock bottom to get sober, and that's a whole new thing if you can get ahead of it, I suppose. But um, what were those few days like that first week with without? Um, for me, it was a nightmare. It was an absolute. It was the it was the worst week of my absolute entire life. Um, what was it like for you so the I first a, week? I had to. I had to dig out. I had to dig out and and quickly make amends to my director of food services, who I reported to. Um, I was a no call, no show for three days or four days, and then I had a side gig that I was doing too that I just totally blew off. I had to, yeah, just fess up. I didn't say. I just said I was really sick. I was in the hospital, um, and uh, which is a white lie. Um, you were sick. And then, you know, I, yeah, I was. And I told my mother, I told a couple of my friends, that was it. I didn't tell my sisters. And so I, you know, I was a little bit of crying like a baby. But then it was kind of like it's over. Like I have a new life. Um, but how did you feel yeah, after the first? Did you, did you go through withdrawal felt, or did you, did you no, not? No, I didn't. Like, <clears throat> I, I mean, I, I, I did, but it wasn't as bad as a lot of other people that I've heard about. After like three or four days, I was really hungry. <laughs> like I just wanted to eat. Like I, I would eat like chicken wings or like mozzarella sticks. You know, I, beer was dinner. Like I'd fill up on, on beer before like my wife came home, and then we'd go out to eat or have dinner, and I might have a beer or two, and my my appetite was spoiled. So I'd eat whatever was easiest or greasiest, you know. Um, I didn't want to kill the buzz either, but, uh, yeah, I started craving like, like healthier options and, and just more, like more food. I was kind of always hungry. And then after about a week, it was strange. It just dawned on me that I spent so much time and energy, like over the course of, let's just say like a work day thinking about how much I could drink, how much time I had, how much money I had and taking that formula and applying towards that given day. Like, all right, well, mm. if I clean up, like there's no catering today. If I clean up, I can clean as I can go. I can get out of here. I could skip lunch, not take, I could leave by one. That would give me like an extra hour and 45 minutes to drink. And I could even stop at that store and have a few road beers on the way on the highway before I even get home. And mm. let's see, like I'd go like, all right, if I go to Fry's supermarket and get a few things, just buy a few things, it's, you know, for dinner tonight and get like $20, $20 cash back, I could get a pack of cigarettes, a six pack of whatever kilt lifter beer, and then three liters of beer too as fillers, you know? So when I come home, my wife, she'll notice that I'm on only my second beer. <laughs> Uh, and I might also have some leftover tequila or something, but that's just kind of how I thought. And like, you know, how much money do I have? How much time do I have? What can I get away with every day? And like after a week of 
being sober, like I did, it just dawned on me. Like I had this clarity. Like I stopped thinking about that. It, like it opened up like this whole section in my brain that was being cluttered with that shit for years. Hmm. You know, it, and, and like if if I wasn't like if we went somewhere, we were going somewhere. Like I couldn't drink. Just say like on a on a Thursday night. Like if my wife said we're going to someone's house and you know, no drinking. It it I could I was okay with that. But I'd still be thinking about mm. when's the next time, like Friday, Friday, what can I do Friday? How much can I get away with? Can I leave work early? Who are we going out with? Should I invite somebody? My buddy Cliff likes to drink or Saturday or start plotting and planning. And like, that's just kind of all like the way my mind worked. And then it stopped working like that. It started, I started thinking like, I have like three hours to kill in the middle of the day. Like, what could I do to mm. fill up those, those three hours? Like, so I, I started you know, like, oh, grab a word search thing, you know, word search book. And I started doing some things like that just to keep busy because yeah, an idle yeah. mind is no good for me, you know, just sitting there. Um, I've always been, I've always been a busy body. Even when I was drinking, uh, I have to be doing something else too. Um, you know, that could be watching useless nonsense television, but yeah. Sure. So then once I became sober, I started like, you know, looking for things to do. And then when I moved to Massachusetts, um, it was okay in the beginning and then so it was 2009 and then like 2011 and 12 I started becoming pretty squirrely like I wasn't going to any meetings or anything like that I wasn't really practicing um I wasn't a dry drunk but I wasn't practicing uh in AA or any spirituality really you know I, I prayed to God every day and that, that type of thing but I wasn't really as connected as I was in the past and um, I had no hobbies. I, I still had not filled that void. And so like I, I started struggling. I started driving my, my wife crazy like six o'clock in the morning. Like, let's go for breakfast. Like, not mm -hmm. going for breakfast at six in the morning. Like, all my chores are done. The house is clean. Everything's in order. I, I, don't, I don't know what else to do. Like, read a book. Do something. Like, uh, I don't want to. I have all this, all this mm -hmm. energy built up inside of you. Nothing, nothing productive to do with it. Um, so yeah, like I, you know, I struggled with that and then I can jump into the, how I found running thing. I, um, I have one more question. Okay. So there's a marathon. One more question. Yeah, yeah go that. for it. Um, what's your, no, I'm actually, I don't, I don't even mean to belabor cause now I'm, I want to bring, I want to understand how it all came together, but, um, I want to know, you good. so, um, for me, my, I live with my girlfriend, Jess, we've been together for six years. I, my clients and athletes never had a clue. In fact, the day before I went into detox, Henry, I sat on my computer, made two weeks of athlete plans, sent them out to make sure everybody was taken care of while I was drinking my whiskey. I, I kept my side of the street clean. I didn't mistreat anybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had no idea. And I wasn't fucking up. Like, I was miserable, personally. This was not good for yeah, me. Yeah, I was yeah, miserable. Yeah. But I wasn't doing those. I, I don't know what you were doing. But my curiosity is, you know, my girlfriend just saw how miserable I was. And all she wanted to do was help because I was, it was not negatively impacting our relationship. Luckily, I wasn't that kind of drunk. I don't know. It's just luck. Maybe this is not my nature. I don't know. But I want to know on the flip side of that, like, uh, before we get to your running, like, why, why was your wife... 
why did it come to that? Like, obviously you weren't being very responsible on these benders, but like, what was it like? How did it affect the relationship? Like, I, I'm very curious there. Like, how bad can it get? So, so just, uh, I wasn't present. Like, I wasn't present, right. like in the conversations. Um, you know, I would still clean the yard. I would still do dishes. I still cooked. Okay. I still, I did a lot of that. I did a lot of that stuff. I was very functioning but i think it was just like she wanted a partner and like i wasn't like talking to when she's when she could have a half a beer a half a glass of wine or a half a shot of tequila and i'm on my sixth or seventh or eighth beer with some hard liquor in me you know it's she's not used to talking to somebody that's under the influence of alcohol and she Mm -hmm. she wanted a partner she wanted somebody you know with a clear head and um Quite often than not, I, I didn't have a clear head. It just, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and she tried and tried to help me. She tried numerous different ways. You know, let's True. go away for the weekend. Let's get a dog. Let's get two dogs. Let's go on vacation. You know, m- money can't buy happiness. Pets can't, they, pets can provide happiness, but deep mm-hmm. down inside, the happiness has to come from within. And she tried and tried and tried. It ended up making her sick too, right? That's where they had yeah. Al-Anon. She ended up going to Al-Anon while I was in treatment. Yep. Uh, yeah, no, you know, I did a number on her. Hmm. I get it. I totally get it. I was just curious there. And we don't need to, to dwell on that. I just said, you know, obviously that wasn't the version of you that she signed up for, right? And that's correct. She had no daily. idea. No. Yep. Um, and it got worse. It never got better. It got worse. Mm-hmm. Um, so now we were starting the story about uh, time on your hands. You were taking care of life and stuff, and, and you're like, I still like, I don't know what to do with myself. feels like a little bit. Yeah, so walking distance helped me a lot. And I always thought, like, I started doing that. I started doing that. And then we came out to Arizona in January of 20, 2013. What do you mean by walking distance? So by San Sebastian. So like walking more than like two or three miles. What's Walking four miles is kind of far. So yeah. we'll say walking more than four miles. So I was walking to Harvard Square from our apartment, which was two miles there and two miles back. So four miles. And that's pretty far um, mm-hmm. to walk. Yeah. You know, it took... Let's, let's just say, you know, round trip, about 45 minutes um, to there and, and back. And I'd stop and get a coffee, that type of thing. Um, and then I'd go a little bit further, go to my mother's house. It was three miles. Like, oh, you walked all the way here. Like, yeah, six, I'm going to do six miles. Like, that's crazy. And, you know, coming from somebody that wasn't super active, I, and I, you know, just being an addict and alcoholic, more and more and more. So let's go, let's do four miles each way. And then we came out to Arizona and my son was, uh, he was 10 months old and we stayed at a friend's house and when he wake with a three hours time difference, he wakes up at three in the morning and he's mm. wide awake. He wants milk. So I give him milk. We put the light on and then he's wide awake. I'm wide awake. My wife's wide awake. It's three fifteen in the morning. And she's like, where are you going? I'm like, well, it doesn't make sense for all of us to be awake. Where are you going? I said, I'm going to grab my iced coffee, a bar, the diaper bag, more milk, snacks. I'm going to take him for a walk around the block. It's 3.15, 3.30 in the morning. Like, so 
Do you want him to sit here and be wide awake? Like we, we're going to wake up our friends and their newborn, their and their kid, and uh, can't put the TV on. What are we going to do? So I'm not going back to sleep anytime soon. I'm going to take him for a walk. So I took him for a walk, and he's kicking his feet. He's all bundled up, and gave him some Cheerios, or whatever, and. We got tired of walking around the cul-de-sac in the neighborhood, so I found my way like down the road. I'm like, South Mountain is like kind of right there, and I kept walking towards it, and I had hit four miles. It was four miles to South Mountain, and I sat there in the dark looking at the silhouette of cacti, <laughs> and like it was like forbidden territory. Like I should go in, and like once I took a whole like two step, two feet in there, it was like, holy crap! Like I'm in the desert technically and took another couple steps and i have the baby i have the baby stroller you know and kids <laughs> not even near one years old and so like there was some rocks i had to lift it over we just kept going and i'm using the the flashlight of my blackberry phone and my iced coffee's like spilling it's in the cup holder and i and i just kept going and then i, I kind of could see that like the sun was starting to come up and so I climbed to the top of one of the foothills and took like 200 pictures of the sun rising and like uh, there was like a fire inside of me that just like a seed was planted. I just felt alive and um, I had gone, you know, five and a half miles or whatever, went a little bit further, saw a bunch of coyotes mm. and I took all these pictures and I'm like, I got to go all the way home now. So I had a little more coffee, gave him another bottle of milk and we walked all the way home. We got home at like 8.15 in the morning before anybody had woken up. I came home, walked in the door, like, you never believe where I've been. I went to South Mountain with Sebastian. Like, <laughs> there's no way you did. Yeah, like I went 11 and a half miles, 11.25 miles, whatever it was. Showed him my watch, showed him the post on Facebook, showed him all the pictures of my phone. Like, that, that's, that's, that, no, that's not possible. Like, yeah, I did. I went like almost 11 and a half miles. And I can't wait to do it again. So, you know, after sitting for a little bit, I was pretty sore and tired. We had a big mm -hmm. breakfast, but I started like looking like I'm going to do it again. And so my wife said, drive there first. Don't, I don't want you going through this kind of rougher section. And so like in the next day I was, I did like three days in a row. I did, you know, 11 or 12 miles, three days in a row, like was much further than I ever gone before, but I loved it. And so then we came back to, to Massachusetts and I, had, I would walk all the way like to Boston. I went to Fenway Park. It was four and a half miles from our apartment, four and a half back, nine miles. I walked as far as whatever, like 11 miles, 12 miles, a couple other times. And I tried running a few times. Mm -hmm. I had this idea, like if I could, if I could run, I could get there faster and go further. Right. Uh, and but I just hated, I was like, like I was sprinting and I was like tired, so like I, I hated it. My knees hurt and I was getting cramps and stitches and shin, shin splints. Where most and of then, those uh, walks, the marathon with, bombing um, happened with Sebastian. Sebastian, with did Sebastian, you say his yeah. Name is? Or were those by yeah, yourself? Sebastian, yeah. Always with you. All, like what, one or two with our dog Lucy, but mostly with Sebastian. Yeah, always. Mm -hmm. And so he loved it too. He's just kind of scanning around, looking around, kicking his feet and pointing and making noises and. Yeah, so I, I had a new life. Like I'm a I'm a distance walker, and I do it just with them. And and then, um, yeah, no, I tried running a few times and like it. And the whole little marathon bombing thing. And I I vowed to unite with the runners, and you know fight the terrorism, the local terrorism. And mm. again, I tried running a few more times, and I just like it's too bad. It's it, running sucks. <laughs> and then uh, 
I have a friend that lives in Corning, New York. He lived there and he started running. He started, they opened up a, a gym and he found running kind of a few years before. He used to be a pretty heavy smoker, not much of a drinker, but I just, we were going to visit him and there was a glass fest, glass thing, like Corning glass over the weekend. And I noticed there was glass blowing and magician and street vendors and all this stuff going on. There was a glass fest 8K and I asked him if he was going to run. And he said, like, I will if you do. And I say, whoa, sign me up. <laughs> sign you up, yeah, I'll do it if you do it. I say, like, okay, I'll do it if you do it. Yeah, cool. And so I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I'm like, I don't even know how far that is. It's like 5.3 miles. I'm like, I, did, I ran twice. I did two and a half miles and four miles. I can do it. And I was pushing Sebastian in the stroller both times and ran twice, signed up for this race. And, you know, you always, in any race, you typically will start off faster. Like, it's just at a regular training run and you're caught up mm -hmm. in the moment. I'm running with everybody else. Like 30 seconds, 40 seconds into it, I'm like, oh, man, like, I'm completely <laughs> gassed, completely winded, screeching hauled. It's like 40 mile an hour winds, 40 degrees out in May, Memorial Day weekend. Like, this sucks. Like, I am never doing this again. Like, 0.6 miles. Oh, my God. I have to go how many more? And, like, I just, uh And so I kept going. I do a run-walk ratio. And then I found a downhill section. It felt a little bit better. And then it started getting hard again. I'm like, I want to quit. Like, And I realized I was at the halfway mark. I'm like, I'm halfway. I don't even know where I'm going. I might as well follow these other idiots. And like, I literally, every time someone passed me, I wanted to elbow them. Like I was so frustrated <laughs> because I thought that I found something that I, I really enjoyed the training runs. I found something that I really, that would fill that void. I got that adrenaline, that dopamine. And I thought that's, that was going to be me. I was going to be a runner. And then like, it's too bad because I'm never doing this again. Never, never, never. And then mm -hmm. I saw my wife, our friend, my friend's wife, and, and their little kids, and I saw like the finish line, and realized that I was going to finish. I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. And when I finished, they gave me a glass medallion made in Corning, a banana, like water gummies, and like I literally felt like I was one of the greatest days of my life. Like I won like a gold medal or something like in the Olympics. Like I was so proud of myself for not quitting. And I remember some of the things, some of the dialogue in my head as I was running is like, don't quit now. Um, you know, you've been through this, your legs are tired or you're breathing heavy, but you struggled a lot more during active addiction years. You got through that. You can get through this little race here. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I just, and I was like talking to myself, just stay with it, stay with it, stay with it, you know, kind of stay with it, meaning stay in the moment. And um yeah, you know, when things get hard, they can get a little bit easier. You get to the top of the hill, there's a downhill, you get a break. So, yeah, I, had, I mean, I really had a hard time with that race, and it seemed much longer than what it was. And uh, and I finished, and, and then I couldn't wait to go back to his house and use his computer to look for other races in Waltham, Massachusetts, where I grew up. Hmm. And then I noticed there was a 5K series there, like a race series. There was like eight races or 10 races over the course of the summer. So I asked my wife if I could sign up. She's like, you sure you don't want to get checked out by like the doctor first? You look like you're in rough shape. <laughs> so no, I'll, I'll be fine. So I think I might have run once lightly during the middle of the week. And then I had signed up for the St. Jude's 5K. And I saw people that I knew from high school. And like, I always saw people, but they want to know your life story. You married, you know, what are you doing? What are you doing with your life? Where are you living? And 
eh, whatever. They didn't give me the time in high school and I didn't feel like giving them the time then. But I found out that like some of them were like, you know, I'm in recovery from addiction or I suffered from anxiety and depression. And I found running and found there's a lot of people with mental health, especially addiction, that had found running later in their life and it really helped them like one of them was saying like i don't take any medication or anything anymore i lost like 40 pounds Mm -hmm. and like this community that i caused a lot of damage to like physically but you know with my reputation um accepted me with open arms you know which was really cool Mm -hmm. and i had a whole new group of friends i started exchanging numbers and i started training with my friend randy who ran Boston but got rerouted he never finished because of the bombing him and his brother so I started doing long runs with them and like the longer I ran like the better I felt and then I wanted to do Boston but I didn't I didn't realize you had to qualify it ended up signing up as the story goes by mistake for the Pittsburgh marathon so in May of 2014 I did my first marathon same thing I hated that that was a lot harder than I thought you know at the time how do you sign up for that on it was it wasn't so when you apply for Boston to run for a charity, there's an application mm-hmm. process and it took about, I don't know, 45 minutes, an hour to do the application. You write, write like an essay and explaining why you want to run for that charity, why it's important to you to run Boston and all that good stuff. And the Pittsburgh one was name, phone number, address, email, password, emergency contact, shirt size, submit. And next thing you know, mm-hmm. the page refreshed and says, congratulations, you're registered to run the 2014 Dick Sporting Good Pittsburgh Marathon. Like, what the hell? Like, what do you think you were I signing was gonna up kill for? Me. Well, I don't know. It was, it, was, it was just like, I thought I was finishing that page. I thought there was going to be an essay. I thought there was going to be, oh. you know, like you have to pledge a certain amount. Like they had a minimum of like $600 the minimum for Boston that year, I think, because everybody wanted to run Boston, was like five thousand, and I knew that they weren't accepting anybody that didn't pledge more than ten thousand dollars. So I'm like six hundred dollars. Like, so I figured there's going to be a next page to this application. I guess that was my thought process. <laughs> and how'd it go? So yeah, it's a, uh, it went well. I didn't qualify for Boston, but uh, you know, I had a hard, I had a hard time because I wanted to qualify and I was pushing myself and. Uh, it was a difficult course, but in the same breath, it wasn't as hard as I thought it was. Like afterwards, I started thinking about it. Like I went from never doing this again to like, what's next? You know, uh, what what other marathon can I do? And then I found out there was like a 50 marathon state club. And yeah, I want to do 50 states. I want to do all the states. There's marathons in like Paris and Tokyo. There's like the six majors. Like I want to do all those. And so I was like... The addict in me and alcoholic in me was like more, more, more. I want to do as many marathons as possible. And then I found out. So I did three. I did the corning. I did the corning, the wine glass marathon back when my running career started in October of 2014, 2015. No, so no, sorry. I did uh, the rock and roll marathon in 2015 in January. Came back out here. Mm. And then the wine glass marathon, another one. Then I was like, that I found out about ultra marathons and like, why would anybody want to do more than 26.2 miles? And like this guy, you know, this alcoholic, <laughs> nothing in moderation. So yeah, I started doing ultra marathons and marathons. And then I started, I did my first hundred miler. I came up from Boston and did Havelina hundred in 2016. Hmm. And then a seed was planted to move 
back out here at that point. I really, you know, where I didn't run anymore. There's mountains and trails everywhere. This is the playground. And I really enjoyed that race, even though it was difficult. And this is kind of where my heart was. Um, and I had done the Boston Marathon quad in 2017, that track, the 24-hour track run in 2017. So when I moved out here, I wanted to do some fundraising. And before I moved out, I qualified for the 2018 Boston Marathon. Mm. Um, and that would be year two of the Boston Marathon quad. So I've done the Boston Marathon quad. So basically... What I do is I start on Sunday, the day before the marathon, at the finish line at noon with usually a, a group of friends and run from the finish line to the start line for one marathon, turn around, run to the finish line, and then two marathons, and then go to the start line, three marathons, and then the official Boston Marathon is marathon number four. And different people will walk, run, with me different segments they might do three miles they might do a full marathon they might do six miles up and six miles back they might come out and just offer car support so it's um it's a community building event i always do it as a fundraiser to kind of raise money and awareness for addiction so this actually in 24 days i think it's 24 days i'll Coming be doing up. my sixth boston marathon sixth boston marathon quad i um, oh i continue goodness. the tradition out here and i've I've done three Mesa Marathon quads and most recently the Arizona Rock and Roll Marathon quad. So let me get this straight. So that's ridiculous in itself in such a good way. So your official Boston time would actually be of your fourth marathon. You're you're registered marathon. So you're going all night without sleep, race morning, you plan Correct. it so you're done with your third marathon, which brings you back to the start line because you've run the course in reverse order the third time. And then you go run your Correct. final and fourth marathon with a timing chip on, and that would be your technically your result in the marathon. Correct. Yeah, the like best time <laughs> was 2021. I ran 4.05. Holy uh, cow. And the, the, rock and roll mar- the rock and roll marathon out here – in January, I ran 338. <laughs> so I, it's not about the time. I always want to just do the best I can. And like Boston, I, I'll know, like growing up there, I'll know, you know, 100 people in the crowd. And, you know, maybe 20 of them is, fam- is close family. So I always want to make sure I stop and hug and share a moment, take a picture. But um, someone, someone was saying, do you think you could get 330 for the marathon? Like, maybe, <laughs> maybe. But um, yeah, it's it's more wow. about the experience than the actual time. But so, how many quads have you done? Uh, I've done ten altogether. Ten total quads in how many years? Since two thousand seventeen. Okay, so let's say five, six, six years. Um, when you first got into running, did anybody guide you that route really, or is it something that you? I mean, obviously you have this with your friend. He said, I'd sign you up or I'll sign up if you do. And that was a thing, but you, there was no community that grabbed onto you. You sort of walked into the community, literally kind of. And then we're like, I look okay, I want to come back. Yeah. I look for it. I liked what the community had to offer, which was, uh, you know, companionship, encouragement, positive atmosphere, um, 
nobody judges, no egos really. I just kind of surrounded mm -hmm. myself with positive people. Um, you know, I navigated towards and started asking a lot of the questions about, you know, what's it like to train for a marathon? What's it like? First, first I did a half, I did the Boston half marathon. So mm -hmm. a couple of my friends did that with, with me, not with me. I didn't run side by side, but, um, and then the full, and then, you know, I started asking a lot of questions and learning, mm -hmm. eating, breathing, the, the marathon distance. Um, yeah, just the community that attracted just, I don't know, just positive running kind of helps me be like the best, best version of myself. And like everybody mm -hmm. that pretty much everybody that I was hanging out with was, you know, nothing but helpful and supportive, whether it was answering questions or, Hey, you want to go for a run? I'd start mm -hmm. chasing people that were a little bit faster than me to, to try to catch up with them. Uh huh. What is it Pick about, um, because, see, running was always sport for me growing up. I was an All-American in college and track, and I'm still a sponsored athlete somewhat today. 39, about to be 40. I'm hanging on by a thread here, Henry. But I'm still yeah. – it was always a competitive side. And then as I developed, you know, I run on the anxious side, uh, which was a byproduct, I think, of alcohol use. And uh, obviously at that, this sure. has become more therapy than sport for me. And if – if I knew I would only get slower and fatter and everything else in my life, like the, the metrics I've always known went away, I would, I would still choose doing it because of what it does for the other part of me, my emotional mental side. So <clears throat> you didn't come from that though. It wasn't sport for you. It was it initially was medicine. We'll no. call it what, what was like, what, what was, uh, what was so appealing about running a community aside? Like what did you realize running was doing for you? when you first started it? I just, you know, I just, I liked the way it made me feel. Like if I went for a run in the morning, you know, my whole day seemed to kind of flow. If I went for work, I would run for a run after work. It was kind of like stress relief. I liked like the mental and spiritual benefits, not, you know, also the physical, you know, I felt stronger. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you accomplish something, you know, whether it's shaving a minute off your 5K time or a faster marathon time, you know, it's just, that's pretty cool too. Um, yeah, it, you know, I just, uh, I enjoy pushing myself and I enjoy like the actual training, um, and like the benefit of escaping, right? Like my problems aren't going to go away. They're not like, if I go to the mountains for two or three hours and come back, I, I can, I can approach those problems with a clearer head, a calmer, a calmer mm -hmm. soul and, um, and, and be willing to deal with them on a much better with a much better with a lot of patience um i like the way i like the way it, i like the way it makes me feel like it makes me feel like i'm the best version of myself mm -hmm. um, when i'm not running or not exercising it's evident <laughs> you know I'm, I'm i'm more irritable i'm definitely more irritable mm -hmm. so this grew for you then obviously into a lifestyle um so much so that uh, you know, you, you ran 250 miles or covered 250. I can't imagine you run an entire 250. Is that, let, let's lead up to that. You're wearing a hat. What race is that from? So this is the Cocodona 250. In uh, 2020, they had, before life, the world changed, they had announced that they were going to do this race, Aravipa running. It's a big running community and organization out here and 
a couple of my friends had talked about possibly doing it. And then, you know, the whole world stopped, da 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 da. And they announced that it would happen in 2021, possibly. And so in fall of, in 2020, the fall of 2020, October, a bunch of us decided to do this mini donut instead of the cocoa donut. So we did 105 miles of the course hmm. and just kind of scouting it out to see if that's something that we wanted to do. For a couple of, the, of our friends, it was going to be their first 100 miler. So it was pretty cool to experience it. And I said, I would do it. And I had a really hard time out there. I really like, I'm more of a road runner. I enjoy the trails, but I'm not a really great technical runner and I'm not a great climber. And um, so I had a hard time on that and I pretty much made my mind up that I wasn't going to do it. And then the more I thought about it, the more I wanted to do it. And I committed to do it 2021. Uh, And I registered and did it and did not finish. I had a hard time with that. I, in retrospect, I, some of the things I could have worked on were climbing, toughen up my feet and not taking mm-hmm. in so much caffeine and sugary, sugary treats and practice sleeping. So mm-hmm. 2022 was, was revenge year kind of, so to speak. And I practiced sleeping with a sleep mask, practice less caffeine, using food as fuel, earplugs too for sleeping. True. And uh, climbing. So I became a hiking guide. I got paid to, to trade really for this yeah. race. And I started climbing much earlier. Yeah, I had over, you know, 150,000 miles. Oh, no, 100, 120,000 feet of, of climbing and going into this race as opposed to 60,000 the year before. Mm-hmm. And worked on the, the sleeping thing. And, and, you know, I was on the trails more. So I was kicking more rocks. I, I joke with people like, I'm going to go out and practice kicking rocks, toughen up my feet. <laughs> And, um, yeah, no, I didn't have any issues with that. So 2022, I completed the race. So there was a lot of, a lot of walking, a lot of power hiking, you know, any, any way I can get from point A to point B as efficiently as possible. I'm going to take that approach. If that means walking, just power hiking up the hill or jogging down or whatever, that's what I did. And I had a crew and everything that helped me get from, um, from start to finish. And when I had a couple of zoom meetings, like I don't want to sound arrogant or anything, but what I learned in recovery is we have to stay in the moment. Like I don't want to do some big elaborate spreadsheet and charts and graphs and, and really overanalyze this. I just need to stay in the moment, not get lost and get from one aid station to the next regroup. What do we need to get from this point to that point? And, and like, that's all we did really like mm-hmm. there was like 20 or 21 aid stations and um yeah just little checkpoints and there was you know we were moving pretty slowly sometimes so you know hence the name of the book that i wrote one inch at a time mm-hmm. i uh later in the race i got a message from a mentor who's a keynote speaker also and in in an author accomplished author he sends me a message like hey i'm i'm following you on the track are you doing great keep it going and so I decided to call him. Like, I wasn't feeling so good at that point. Mm-hmm. And I was ready to be done. I decided to pick up the phone. Just maybe that would distract me and change my psyche. So Dave, what's up, man? He's like, hey, man, I'm really proud of you. I'm like, thanks. I appreciate your message. And I say, it's pretty cool, man. I'm really enjoying myself, even though I'm ready to be done. Each section here, like from aid station to aid station, is almost like a story, like a chapter. And he's like, there you go. I'm like... Yeah, like, you know, it's like it has its own, like, little personality. It's like, well, there, there you go. You just said it. Said why? It's like, 
it has its own little story, its own little chapter. Now you could write a book. I'm like, oh man, you suck. <laughs> so I, you know, I'm like, he's right. You know, I could, I, I was thinking of writing a blog. It really was really cool, really special adventure. And then after the race, I was grateful for the accomplishment. And then I just, I didn't really lose the urge to run or anything, but you know, a nice, a break was well welcomed. And, um, I just started documenting, doing the same approach, bullet points. And then I went back and I went all the way back to that mini Donna to the beginning, how it all started and did the mini Donna, the 2021, what went wrong. And then 22, what went right? Like did whatever I took. These are all the steps that I did to, to get to the finish line. And sometimes we were moving one inch at a time, you know, it just, mm. it was all spiritual and, and recovery. A lot of it's mental. A lot of it is mental. Like, you can talk yourself that bad Fred Flintstone can come back. Like mm -hmm. my knee hurts, my stomach hurts. You start body sensing, like I'm nauseous, I'm tired. I hate this. Like you're going to start finding things like your earlobes hurt and your nipples <laughs> hurt and you know, uh -huh. whatever, you know, you, you say, Oh my God, now my ankle hurts. Like literally you can kind of manifest that. Um, so no, I try to stay positive. I try to stay in the moment. Like people be like, how are you going to feel like on day two or whatever? How are you going to feel? I have no idea. Like right now I feel okay. And I'm going to keep going with that feeling. How long did um, it take you? I did. Uh, how long were you out there for? A uh, hundred, 110 hours. So like, and how much, much like five days, how much sleep was in there? Sleep. Mm -hmm. Uh, a lot more than the year before the year before I got a couple dirt naps and tried to sleep. I wasted so much time trying to sleep. I just couldn't. Mm -hmm. So this year, I don't know, maybe like 12 hours total, which proved to be enough. Days. You know, we, you could get, yeah. yeah, you can get, you can get, you can go to the aid station, go to the captain and say, hey, Kirk, this is um, <laughs> Captain Kirk. That's funny. I hear <laughs> you. They get real funny, don't you? <laughs> hey, Captain Kirk, this is Henry Ward checking in <laughs> from, uh, you know, um, <laughs> and, and give you my, my spot tracker and say, mm. hey, I'm going off course. I'm going to go take a nap. We got a hotel room. And so I could, I could leave for, for an hour. I could leave for 24 hours. I just need to make sure that I got back and, you know, didn't miss any cutoffs or anything. So, you know, I think I slept for, I left for like four hours, had some coffee and I just had a bagel sandwich ready for me when I woke up and had that, went back to where I started, went back to the, to press to whiskey row with the Prescott and, Hey, Kirk, I'm back. Henry Ward checking back in and then grab my spot tracker, documented, mm -hmm. beep, I'm on the way. Um, you know, whatever, whatever you needed, like if you needed a rest for 20 minutes in a chair or in a car, you could do that. You could, um, you just can't really, you know, go too far off course. And if you do, you yeah. have to go back to where you came off. But I slept in an air mattress. I slept in the woods. I slept in a couple cars. <laughs> Just wherever, you know, I could get shelter or warm sometimes and, you know, about 10 or 10 to 12 hours of sleep and a couple little dirt naps here and there in a rock did me wonders. Just closing your eyes sometimes and not concentrating can yeah, help. Yeah. From where I come from, dirt naps are, you know, that's when you're sending somebody to the grave. So I, I don't think you're taking my kind of dirt nap. Yeah. Literally yeah. sleeping on the dirt. Um, so I, I guess my line of my line of thoughts is like one are you like uh like full on I, I have to imagine at this point like you are 
classically training as an ultra runner. It's infused in your job now. It's infused in your free time. Yeah. I have to imagine, huh? Yeah, I mean, I really enjoy, like, the adventure aspect of it. I really enjoy the time on feet. And it's honestly, like, a lot of time in your head, right? Yeah. Um, I do enjoy that. And, you know, the longer the distance, the more... The more daunting it is, the more endurance you need. I have the endurance and I have the desire to do it. And I have the, the mental makeup to to endure that long just by doing it over and over again. I really, really do enjoy it. Do you, um, do you often done, go... Uh, how often do you still think about and use as perspective like the 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 bad days back in the day? How often do, you, do those still pop up and when you're out there suffering or when things aren't going well, like how, how often do you still, is that still infused in your mental, um, I don't know, day to day. I call that like my super, my superpower, right? Yeah. You know, when we're going through a tough patch in life, you know, just things aren't going right or just problems at home or during a race when things aren't going right, I've been through worse, I've been through worse and just start thinking about like, I don't remember like, real real specific incidents you know the rock bottom stands out mm-hmm. but I, I just remember just just suffering and being miserable for years miserable and, and and just getting through that and just all the shame and guilt of the addiction for years not having to deal with that anymore i had to deal with that and then deal with all the baggage you know the problems that i caused over the years um that was much worse than you know a race mm-hmm. that i chose to sign up for and pay money for right um, or any pro- any problems that we have here now you know just around the house around regular life where do you think um i often wonder myself man like where would i where would i be if i if it wasn't for running like with what i've struggled with and what i've gone with and it scares the shit out of me to think where i would be without this outlet and i mean that like in the most serious way i could scares me to death yeah i i really Where, don't know i really don't know like i i wasn't willing to i don't know like i the therapist said why don't you try rollerblading again and why don't you try riding your bike like that didn't do anything for me and i didn't know what else to try like i didn't want to really didn't want to try anything else like if i didn't find running didn't ask that question i don't know man like i'd probably be a squirrely mess i imagine i would have found something else but would have would have it filled my void i don't know you know writing really like lit my fire it really filled that void up you know and i i never really felt like i belonged i had a core group of friends but i never really felt like i belonged to like a club or anything or like a society like i feel mm-hmm. like i've i've been indoctrinated into this running community or accepted into this running community and it's really cool i don't know yeah like, it's I like uh, i it just go ahead sorry oh no you go ahead oh i did um I did a speaking engagement at Arizona State University and had the pleasure of inviting friends and family. So my wife and son came and um, on the other end of it, he asked, I asked, you know, we did a Q&A afterwards. He asked, um, you know, pretty much, I forget what the exact word was, but like, what if you couldn't run anymore? Mm-hmm. Huh, that's a good question. Tough question. I would, um, I feel like I'd be okay. I'd be missing, you know, a significant part of my life, but you know, it's, it's a critical part of my recovery, but you have to have a backup plan. I have friends that are struggling with, uh, 
health issues that they're shelling themselves as far as being competitive runners. Like, and if I couldn't run mm-hmm. competitively or I couldn't run anymore, you got to have a backup plan, you know, um, AA meditation, whatever it is. Uh, maybe I'd start cycling if I couldn't run you know, some, something else swimming. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'd, I'd have, I, I would, I would take something else on. I would do anything, uh, to not feel the way that I used to like that squirrely mess and, and certainly, like, I lost the urge to drink, but that doesn't mean that I, I couldn't go back to that squirrely mess like I was before mm-hmm. if I didn't have something to keep that, that void full, that emptiness feeling full. Do you still think about drinking um, all the time? Because I know uh, there's a phase uh, immediately afterwards where it is, it's a minute-to-minute thing, right, at times? Is that, has that melted oh, for, for away? Me, like, for you? It melted, it melted away. Like when I went to treatment immediately, like, which is a miracle. You know, I just, once I admitted I was powerless and just kind of gave up, like I, I just, I really lost that, that urge. Like I remember even a couple of weeks after being in treatment, like my friends wanted to watch football on Sunday and my wife saying, you sure you're going to be okay going to a bar or someone's house? Like, yeah, I mean, I really just don't, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to feel like that. I just don't want to do it anymore. I really like, I was just done. Finally, I was done. You know, if I didn't mm-hmm. go to treatment or maybe have that rock bottom moment, you know, maybe, maybe that urge would never go away. Yeah. I just, I don't know with the grace of God, he's, he spared me. I, I lost the urge to, to drink every now and then, like, you know, I have a, a drunk dream or something, or, mm. you know, you see a nice, it's in the summer, you see a nice cold beverage with water frost, water beating down on it. it sounds like mm. a good idea, but I can never, I can never pick that up because one would lead to, to more than one and, and the rest would be history. I'd be divorced. My life would change. I have way too much to lose. And mm-hmm. most of all, I don't want to put myself through it. I wouldn't put myself through it. I have 14 plus years sobriety and I'm really um, enjoying the benefit of clarity and, and all the other things that sobriety has to offer. Running, running's an interesting, yeah, well, for sure that running's an interesting thing for me because when I go do easy running, um, I don't know how you feel about this, but easy running is think thinking running. It's thinkers running. It's your brain goes places you don't even know it's going to go. Right. And you start sorting things out or thinking about the past or the future. And then there's this next part of running, which for me actually does the most benefit. And that is, well, at least immediately, it's the inside out, hate my life. I am so consumed with the effort that I cannot be bothered or distracted. And it's like this melting away of let's call anxiety. It's like everything is being thrown out of my body into the universe. And I am like, I am, uh, but it takes that kind of effort to do it for me, to shut my brain off. Cause my brain is my best friend and my worst enemy, just like most of us, right? Especially addicts. Do you yeah, find yeah, yeah. any correlation there? Because for me, it takes, it takes a quality effort to quality, meaning like I have purpose and I'm going to work hard versus and recovery run is almost the exact opposite. Afterwards, I always feel better regardless without question, but they serve very different purposes yeah. for me. What about you? Yeah, I'm with, I'm with you on the recovery run. And one of my, um, one of my friends here that I run with, they're running track and we, 
warm up together, both get there early, and we started talking about doing hard things, hard workouts. And he's like, when you do a hard workout, when you do something hard in general, it makes life easy, like easy. And I just started thinking about, I started thinking about that a little bit, like, I don't know, like if, if I'm struggling, like, and I go like, I'm going to go beat myself up. I'm going to go do a hard workout at the gym or the, uh, at the track or something. I always feel better afterwards. I just kind of leave everything on the track or everything at the gym. And yeah, I'm not really thinking about my problems. It's just the task at hand. And, um, yeah, the, again, the problems don't go away, but you've kind of gotten rid of that anxiety, that fear, right? You just physically have worked it out of your system. Um, when I go for a recovery or even like a long, slow distance run, yeah, it's, it's a mind dumper. It's just, let's see where the mind goes and maybe we solve the world's problems on a long run with a friend, right? Uh Uh-huh. Sometimes it works that way. Not always, but sometimes. It does. Um, sometimes. Well, let's talk about your, uh, your books then. Um, and who you think, you know, like who could benefit from reading, reading your books is, um, running without the devil. Would that be your, um, like your flagship book to, to call it that encompasses everything or all these feel like very standalone publications that would be for different people. Yeah. I would say that, that accompanies everybody. That's somebody that, you know, maybe needs to be inspired about running or starting a fitness program or diet or exercise, but also somebody that, can relate to it that is in recovery or somebody that's kind of tried a few AA meetings and just kind of on the bubble just hasn't really fully committed to anything or somebody that's completely struggling and is lost. You know, they'd be a good read for them. I've given a lot of books out to people like that. Um, That's my early signs of addiction and then active addiction, rock bottom, how I found running, or treatment, aftercare, how I found running, how running helped me. And the children's book is about, you know, signs of addiction for children and just different forms of addiction and different ways to cope, sure. such as running and exercise. And then, you know, telling adults and doctors and stuff. And then the one inch at a time was about staying in the moment and how this alcoholic and addict found a way to you know, conquer this 250-mile endurance race mm. that was extremely difficult by, you know, relying on what he learned in, in treatment and spirituality. Um, I'm writing a book about time, which is pretty much done. It's in the edited stages. What does that how mean? I used to think of time and, and just, just different anecdotes about time. I think I'm going to call it Got the Time, but you know, how I had no patience and how I grew up in a society where we eat dinner every, like structure every dinner at six mm-hmm. o'clock every night. And, you know, how, um, how we look at time right now and the value of time. And then I wrote a book called uh, My Recovery Toolbox. So kind of 10 different ways that, um, 10 different things that I use for recovery, including running, including AA including meditation and then I'm writing a murder mystery about South Mountain but that's that's what I'm working on right now uh, but all of them are you know recovery related and staying in the moment that's a pretty good place to be but yeah it's a hard place to be though um very hard place it to is. be right it, yeah 
Could you see, um, like, let's say a runner with who says they don't have an addiction issue? I think we all probably have our quirks, but would you see some of these reads being beneficial um, for a runner who's curious? Maybe they don't know they need to read that book yet. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, I always think if you think you have a problem, you probably do. Like if sure. something consumes me, if someone has to run seven days a week, they have to run, have to, have to, have to. Um, and, you know, they're neglecting work or they're re neglecting whatever, just housework or their family or their friends. And, you know, maybe they have a problem. Maybe, you mm. know, or I, I know people that someone that a couple of people that run over a hundred miles a week and they've had a, that's a lot of miles. Yep. a streak of that for for a long 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 time and like i, I question what are they running away from like are mm. you still able to deal with your problems like if i ran that much something's got to give and i'm not about to, it's not it's not going to be family time for me and it's not going to be sleep but everything else would probably have to give because that's a lot of time to be to be running yeah, it is it is um, unless you're running really yeah. fast still a lot of time that's though. true too Mm -hmm. I see guys that recovery uh, runs built in there. <laughs> well, yeah, but even when your recovery runs are six thirty pace, some of these guys that I follow and have competed against, they're hundred miles. Sick. It's like it, yeah, that's it's a very different when you when you run a marathon in two ten versus four ten. What your recovery and pace and time and training um, can be, but okay, well that's that's good to know. And I would like to know. Obviously, this run this writing path has become sort of you a bit here. Are, are, would you have found Yet. writing without running or was it addiction that helped you find writing or both? I think addiction helped me w with both. Like, I, well, I've, running has given me like a platform to share my story about addiction, right? I don't know sure. that I would have, I don't know that I would have found running if I didn't have addiction. It's hard to say. Like, um, and then the writing, I honestly really just thought like I would be one and done with the book. I never really imagined this being, I don't want to say a new addiction, but a new hobby. You know, I was I really told writing a book is like getting a tattoo. It. Like there's, there's no such thing yeah. as one tattoo. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah, no yeah. such thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like you get the itch, like almost like the travel itch, you know, you just, uh, where else can I go? What else can I do? And I just started like, even like making bullet points of different things that I want to write about, like cookbook mm -hmm. or murder mystery or comic book, you know, just different ideas. And, um, yeah, like I, I get an idea and I go with it. Like life's too short to sit back and say, well, maybe someday I'll do it. I just, I just kind of do things. I'm just following my heart and just getting stuff out of my own head onto the paper, onto the, the computer it's been pretty fun you're a lot more productive when you take rid of the suppressor of alcohol it's kind of amazing correct and it's yeah. you know it's it's all positive things too but yeah again i never really thought i thought maybe i'd just write one book and then the idea of the children's book came up and then it just started generating more thoughts okay well i have two questions left for you and they're going to be short ones and then uh then i'll probably let okay. you get to the mountains but um uh, first is uh, personal curiosity about what what's what are you tackling next in your fitness ed, uh, endeavors, your run endeavors? What do, what do you have to look forward to? So, so next, I don't have too many things like on the docket, like as far as races signed up. Um, I kind of pick and choose my battles. So the Boston Marathon Quad is 
in 24 and 25 days. So that's mm-hmm. the third weekend in April in Boston, Massachusetts. And that'll be the sixth annual Boston Marathon Quad. And then I've been itching to do this thing called Hole to Home, and I'll use that as a fundraiser too. And the hole is the Grand Canyon, which is, I don't know, 250 miles, depending on which way you go, from here, my home in Chandler, Arizona. Um, there's really no great time to do it. It's either too cold up north or too hot down here, but mm-hmm. possibly, possibly, in, I might, if you don't plan, it won't happen. I'm, I'm looking to to get some sort of corporate sponsorship to see if I can possibly do that in June. What is and it? Home to home? What is it called? Sorry? Hole to home. Hole. Hole so the hole meaning like the hole in the ground, the Grand Canyon. Yeah, 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 yeah. Got it. Um, and then, you know, it, it'll be more than 250 miles if I go down into the hole or do like rim to rim to rim, which is, you know, 45 more miles. Yeah, no big and deal. And then run back down here. Yeah, not, not a big deal. Yeah, monumental <laughs> task. It's just, uh, uh-huh. you know, the, the, there's a lot of details that need to be worked out. I'll need support because there's a long stretch of area with no um, no water and no nourishment. So mm-hmm. I could I could carry a lot, but it'd be nicer to have a vehicle. Like, I don't need to do this all just totally self-supported. Then, um, yeah, I'll sign up for a couple, like, time braces out here in the desert meaning 12 hour, 24 hour. There's a couple that are out here that go around like a 500 meter uh, track around a mansion, one called Hotfoot Hamster that I've done a few years. I really enjoy that running around, running loops around the desert for, you know, hundred with 110 degree temperatures for 24 mm-hmm. hours. And then I usually do hobbling a hundred in October. That was my first hundred mile, and I've done that five times. So keep that tradition going. That's that's all that I really have so far, and um, I'm sure that I'll I'll do a couple other like fundraiser events on my end, and then maybe maybe another race, and then I don't know. January and February are usually really busy for me. I had a bunch of events last year and the year before. I'll continue to make an annual event. I did. Um, I just like three weeks ago or four weeks ago, I did something called Satan Sidewalk 66.6 hour treadmill event. So I ran for three days in my garage on the treadmill. <laughs> I've done that for three years. So, yeah. Why? I, um, why'd you do that? What's that all why? about? Well, you know, doing, forcing myself to do something that I don't enjoy doing, which is being on a treadmill. I'd rather be out, I'd rather be outside. Um, and it was a fundraising opportunity. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's, you know, running in place teaches you to stay in the moment. Same thing, like with the Cocodona, you know, how are you going to feel the next day? How are you going to feel the next day running on a treadmill? I don't know, but right now I feel okay. And, no. you know, a lot of people came by my house, brought me food, cannolis, Reuben sandwiches, pizza, cookies. Nice. You know, it brought the community together too. I really enjoy doing things like that. So I'll, I'll have a couple other events like last year i did a 24-hour run around my cul-de-sac um, and had my friends participate we played Candyland. we had water balloon fights it was great uh, i'll do things like that but it's uh, funny to hear you don't have much on, don't have much on your schedule but it's just you know running 104 miles on concrete javelina 100 200 miles for the hold of home 
all these things is not much. Plus, oh, by the way, I do all these fundraising events as well. What uh, what fundraising or what uh, foundations or what are you um, fundraising for specifically? Where does that go? So I started my own nonprofit at the same time as I wrote the book, and it's with the same name, Running Without the Devil. And initially, it was like a scholarship fund for people that couldn't afford treatment. And then I did the most recent one I did was for the running club at my son's school. So teaching kids the benefit of running and kind of staying out of trouble and staying active and that feeling of the endorphins and the dopamine mm. that we get and teaching them to stay in the moment. So we did, uh, so I raised money for finisher awards, for water bottles, for race entries, for sneakers. Awesome. That was what the cul-de-sac run was about. And then Satan sidewalk also. And, um, that, help fund that program that's finished so now i'm going to be doing like books i just started a it's a reads for recovery fund so the books that i've written i'm going to be getting uh donations for and then i'll have personalized copies that i'll have and i'm going to drop them off at different treatment centers around the area here you know drop off oh, a dozen that's... books here or there um, and help people and just show people that we can recover and, you know, often thrive. We can, there's life after, uh, after treatment, there's life after addiction. Mm, that's fantastic. Um, thanks. Okay. And, and, um, I guess two questions, but, uh, the last one will be quick. Um, what advice do you have if anybody's listening? I know it's such a cliche question to ask, but anything we haven't touched on, like if somebody is struggling with, addiction um what would be the first thing that comes to mind for advice for anybody listening or if they know somebody who's struggling to tell, like again like if you think you have a problem you probably do and like get help like sooner than later like as as you get older it gets more difficult um and if you're if you can't tell your immediate family tell somebody sometimes even just telling a complete stranger is is easier you know, there's a lot of resources mm -hmm. out there like you know like honestly get help today like nab it in the butt and like 100 percent dive in not 90 percent, 100 percent. give it your all like you can there's no cure for this but you can certainly um you know like anything like put the you put the work and you'll get the results like um, get help, get help now before like it's too late. I just lost another, fr I just lost a friend a couple of days ago to overdose. Like, oh, man. um, some people just don't, don't get it. Or they don't work hard enough. They don't put the time in like all in be all in. Um, okay. Yeah. And it's, yeah, you know, honestly it's, it is in the same breath. It's never too late to change too. Like it took me quite some time. Mm -hmm. Um, but, you know, I believe if, if I could get, if I can go to treatment and I can recover, anybody can. Like, if I could start running, anybody can. If I could write three books or even one book, right, anybody <laughs> can. You can really, like, a lot of the time, the only thing stopping us is, is ourselves, right? Yeah. What does all in mean, I guess? Go all in if you're going like to. 100%. What does that mean? Specifically. Yeah. Like, more specifically, what does that mean? Like, Get, like give give your best like soak up like I did. My dog's going crazy. <laughs> come here. 
give give a hundred percent like if it's treatment like learn about yourself listen to the people there go to the meetings eat breathe sleep recovery yep. you know if you want to go to the, you, you want to go to the gym and yeah let it consume you if you want to go to the gym and you want to lose weight you want to gain muscle don't go once a week or twice a week go five days a week get a trainer yep. learn about it there's you know youtube the internet you know, books Start yeah. talking about it to people and surround yourself by people that are in recovery, <laughs> that yeah. have similar problems as you. Um, that makes sense. Yeah, okay. It's all about there. And then uh, where can people learn about you, follow along, support you? Uh, where can people do that? So they can read about me on, we can find this about me link on my website and www.runningwithoutthedevil.com without the devil mm-hmm. um, my books are available on my website for personalized copies they're also available on amazon.com I'm on social media yeah, my actual like my profile is Chef Henry Ward and there's a, probably a picture of me there and uh, awesome. um, at running without the devil and then same thing on Instagram at running without the devil but all, all my right. information should be on my website too. And if someone's struggling and they want to reach out, by all means, I can tell them what works for me. Okay. And I'm going to take a page out of my co-host's book who would typically likes to ask this question. But since he's not here, I'll ask it for him. Uh, and then we'll, wrap, we'll be finished okay. here. What is, uh, what is one thing people listening need to hear today? Anything you want to send them off with? Yeah, I mean, you only get one chance at this life, really. Like, might as well make the best of it. Be the best version of yourself. Um, yeah. It's the truth, man. I guess that's it. really it. is. Go for well, great. Run. Yeah, go, <laughs> run go for a run. <laughs> it sure does. Go for a run. Um, well, I appreciate your time today. Uh, we almost went two hours. I know you're a busy guy, so thank you. And, um, and we will uh, link thank all you, this Kirk. stuff. And, yeah, thanks for coming on. It's been a great conversation. So appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thanks, Kirk. Have a good one.